workers this week, how they were doing on the background, and uh, of course one of them responded, peachy. (laughs) (laughs) So I know like many of you guys, you enjoy taking your wife out to dinner once in a while. I like doing that. On Friday nights at the end of the week, Sandy does daycare in our home and uh, makes dinner most every other night of the week. But on Friday nights, I, I just love um, taking her out, showing her a good time, honoring her for all that she does. And so not too many Friday nights ago, I said, hey, hon, they got $5 rice bowls up at High V. <laughs> you want to go get something to eat? And she said, sure, let's go. And so uh, we went up to High V and we got our $5 rice bowls and and I sat down and talked and chatted and ate, of course. And, and then we got done. She had some shopping to do. And so she goes, you want to go shopping with me? And I go, I go, no, not that much. And I'll just sit here. And when you're done shopping, um, you know, you come and get me and then we'll go. And she goes, oh, okay, great. And so she got up to leave and I realized that I didn't have my phone with me. So I go, hon, can I, can I borrow your phone while you're gone and I can use it to entertain myself? And she goes, she goes, okay, here, you can have my phone. So I get on the internet. I can't remember what I was looking for or, or that sort of thing, but all of a sudden she got a message from one of her friends. And I swiped it off the, off the screen, you know, just swiped it off, and I went on doing what I, was, what I was doing. And then, you know, sometimes when you're not that busy, you get a little uh, mischievous. So I was feeling a little mischievous. So I brought that message back. And this is what the message said. Are you posting tonight? And I didn't think I knew quite what that meant, but I felt like I had a good reply. And so I replied for Sandy. I said, hmm, I don't know. I thought I'd give Greg a foot rub after I make him a big dinner and then clean the garage for him. (laughs) After that, I might post a little. She writes back immediately, wow, you're pretty sweet and super busy too. Without skipping a beat, I write back to her. Then I may do some data entry for him, iron some shirts, and tuck him in for the night. I'm just so in love with him. I think he's the greatest. (laughs) I was certain at this point I would be discovered, but I wasn't. She writes back, boy, that's a lot to do in one night. You're a super wife. And then I write back immediately, I don't mind. He's terrific. Now, I can tell at this point, she doesn't know what to make of this. And so she just sends a heart emoji back. And those of us that are a little savvy at at, uh, texting, we know whenever you start getting emojis, the conversation's coming to an end. And so I wait and I wait, nothing's coming back. So I thought, okay, one more. I really don't know how I got so lucky. Some people think I really married up. I could not agree more. My life was really nothing before meeting him. He has given me purpose and meaning. He is my destiny. No reply. She must think by this time that my wife has totally lost her marbles. Nothing's coming, nothing's coming, and I see Sandy is finishing up and walking towards the table, so I write quickly. Oh boy, here comes Greg. I know he's going to take my phone and pretend he is me and say I really didn't write all this, but don't believe him. I really do think he's great, and I am so very, very lucky. After that, she finally got it. 
Uh, well, I'm glad I got you laughing because I want to talk to you about something hard. I want to talk to you about our pride. Pride can be both positive and negative. It's good to take pride in our work. We like it when someone tells us that they're proud of us. And nearly all of us likes living in a neighborhood where people take pride of ownership. All these expressions communicate positive, diligent, respectful, honoring traits of pride. But pride isn't always positive. Pride can also mean conceit, arrogance, superiority. This kind of pride is based in self-centeredness. In fact, one person defined pride as thinking more highly of oneself than we ought. Selfish pride gets no pleasure in having something only for the sake of having it. Pride wants more than the next person. If we just have a lot and everybody else has a lot, well, then it doesn't give us pleasure. But pride wants to have more. Pride is essentially esteeming ourselves above other people. I think, I thought this past week on my way in to church, I, I um, um, traveled back and forth from the west side. Commute was the word I was looking for. I was thinking of communion, but that wasn't where it, right. I commute back and forth from the west side. And the other day I was thinking, I could be a much better person if I didn't have to drive this belt line twice a day. Because <laughs> there always seems like there's something aggravating that happens on the belt line. I could be more patient. I could be more kind. I could be a, a better Christian if I didn't have to make this drive twice a day. And it seems I experience or I see every day People wanting to merge and someone not wanting them to merge in. Now, they don't mind if you merge in behind them, but they don't want you to merge in in front of them because then you would be getting ahead of them. So they speed up a little bit, but lo and behold, the person right behind them also doesn't want you in front of them. So they speed up a little bit faster thinking, well, you can just get in behind me too. But because of the character of our hearts, oftentimes we want to be in that place which we deserve, which is first. That is the heart of pride. Here is the problem with pride. First of all, pride defies God. In fact, pride is what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven because he lifted himself up to be equal with God. In fact, it says in Isaiah 14, I will make myself like the Most High. And in Ezekiel 28, said of Lucifer, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. In the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve who was tempted to be proud when the enemy said to them, for God knows on that day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. In fact, this was the enemy's appeal to Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted and the enemy said to him, all you have to do is bow down to me and all that your eyes see, I will give to you insinuating that you really don't have to go to the cross. You really don't have to die on behalf of all mankind. Just bow down to me and you'll have all of this. Pride defies God. Pride also defiles man. We were born with pride. It's something that came from the fall. It's something in our inner man. In fact, I'm told... That when we see in an apple, we see a wormhole in an apple, I'm told that that worm is actually comes from an egg that's laid when that apple is just a blossom. And so that worm hatches inside the apple as it begins to grow and does not bore itself in, but bores itself out. And in the same way, pride is in the heart of humanity. 
coming from a good place as God intended for sure, but corrupted by the fall and often becoming selfish within. C.S. Lewis says this, it is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Another person said, pride is indeed the mother of all sins. That every other sin you can imagine comes from this place of pride. Perhaps lifting ourselves up above God or lifting ourselves up above one another. Pride also divides society. Talking to counselors, you find that the problems with most marriages, most relationships, most families, as Nate intimated, is pride. That it's at the center of that, those disruptions. There's never been an argument, a war, a divorce, nor a church split, which pride wasn't the major factor. Proverbs 13.10 says, only by pride comes contention. And in another place, he that is proud stirs up the heart of strife. Here's another one. Pride dishonors life. The proud person wants praise, honor, and esteem, but all he gets is contempt. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor comes humility. Here's one last one. Pride destroys souls. Pride ultimately, ultimately destroys all that it controls. Pride goes before uh, destruction, the Bible tells us, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The proud Persian Haman, building the gallows for, for Mordecai, was hung on his own gallows. Obadiah prophesying, clear, declaring to Edom, says this, your proud heart has deceived you. You that live in the clefts of the rock who, whose dwelling is the heights, you say in your heart, who will bring us down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though you, though you nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Isaiah declares, the day is coming when the haughty eyes of the people shall be brought low and the pride of everyone will be humbled. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Point number two. God's part in overcoming pride. Number one, please know that God has freed us from the power of pride. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we have been freed from sin. Those of you Maybe thinking, well, Greg, I, there, there's still sin that I wrestle with. Or there is still, and more specifically, there is still pride that I wrestle with. And I would say to that, yes, me too. But whereas we could not get free before, now we have freedom to leave that behind. Is it always easy? No, it is not. But now we have a choice where before we were bound, now we are free, and now we can move forward in humility because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He has not only conquered the consequences of pride, or consequences of sin, including pride, but he's also given us victory over it in this sense of freedom from it. Where it was impossible before, now it is made possible. Titus 3.5 reminds us of this, that we are not saved because of righteous things that we are done, but because of his mercy, we are saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes into our life, it begins a transformational work. Where old things pass away, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives. Some may ask, well, when are we really born again? When are we really saved from the wrath to come? When does when that point of eternal life begin? It's when the Spirit of God comes into our life and begins that transformation, which often begins right when we humble our hearts and say, Lord, I believe. I believe you were who you said you were. 
And in that moment, the spirit of God will come in. This is one of the indicators that we've been born again. The spirit of God comes into our life and begins that transformation in our life. This is why we do the testimonies on Sunday morning. To show the transformational work of Jesus Christ that comes and brings change in our life. That is the work of the Lord. And in the same way, he has released us from bondage to pride. And so number one, God has freed us from pride. Secondly, God has actively intervened in our life. The Bible tells us that God is able to humble uh, the proud. Now, some might see that as kind of a punishment, you know, kind of a, a judgment. But I don't see it that way. I see it as a necessary discipline that helps shape us into the measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that is his goal. That is his goal. Far beyond our comfort, his desire is our character. His desire is to shape us and mold us into that image of Jesus Christ. And so he brings these things into our life for a number of things to shape us in a number of ways. But one of those things is in our pride that he will humble us. I think of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. In chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar confesses the Lord as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But already, coming up soon after that, Nebuchadnezzar is building a 90-foot statue of himself and telling everybody to bow down to it. So he really didn't get the whole King of kings, Lord of lords thing. But then in chapter 4... Daniel prophesies and says, this is what's going to happen. Because of your pride, God is going to bring correction. He's going to bring discipline. And you're going to go about for a time. You're going to find your home in the fields. You're going to eat grass for a time. And then the Lord, in the end, is going to bring you back. And indeed, he does at that time. And when he comes back... This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Now I praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom of heaven. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So he finally came back to that place and gave the glory to the Lord. That's where the Lord wants us. Exactly at that place. And he's willing to disrupt our comfort to get us there. Because he's more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. So let me tell you a story. I used to always like stopping out at PDQ down here at the end of the street. Now quick trip. But they just don't have those good PDQ muffins. And so I've just been, I've just been so disappointed. Frustrated. A little bitter, if I was going to be honest. And I know it's all done and all brand new now, and I should probably go in and check it again. But I was just so disappointed. I love these yellow poppy seed muffins. And nobody made them like they did. And when someone made them that I didn't think they made them just right, I would counsel them a little bit about how to make them. (laughs) And I would find out who's in the area, and I'd say, you know, these are really good when you overcook them a little bit. It gets crusty on the top, and then it's nice and moist underneath. I said, that is, those are great when they're like that. I didn't say this, but I hate the mushy ones, you know, when they're not that soft. On, I mean, when they're really soft on the top, it's like, I've just wasted my money. Now they're all mushy on the top, so. So I'd stop by PDQ to get a muffin, and I'd head over to, the, over to the case, and I'd pick up a muffin and Diet Mountain Dew because I need the Diet Mountain Dew to counteract what that muffin's going to do to me. <laughs> so I'd get a Diet Mountain Dew, and I'd get a muffin. So I'm there on one particular day. This is before church on a Sunday morning. It's bright and sunny and, and warm out, and I'm feeling particularly good. It's Sunday. I'm going to see all you, and it's just going to be a fun day. And so I walk in, and I head over to the case where the muffins are. And there in front of the case, I can tell even from behind and from a distance, there's an attractive woman standing, smartly dressed, uh, just looked even, even from behind attractive. And when she turned around, she looked at me, and she gave me this big, beautiful smile. 
And I thought to myself, Greg, you still got it. And we chit-chatted a little bit, and, and I got my muffin, and she went her way, and then I went up to the counter, and the woman behind the counter seemed really excited to see me as well. I mean, she had a big smile on her face, and we bantered back and forth a little bit, and that sort of thing, and I'm walking out to the car, and I'm thinking, boy, I, I'm doing pretty good, you know? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I, I get to the car, and I wanted to turn the, turn the mirror down to see, you know, what's, you know, what's going on, what's this all about, you know? And I turn the mirror down to look at myself, and as the mirror comes across my face, I see on my face I have two patches of toilet paper where I cut myself <laughs> earlier in the day. So I cut myself shaving, and I tore off two little pieces of toilet paper and put them on my face, you know, to soak up the blood. Forgot to take them off. I'm in the store with two pieces of toilet paper stuck to my face. That was humbling. But probably much needed. So Sandy took some food over to Tom and Alice, Pastor Tom and Alice Flaherty. I think this was, um, oh, it doesn't matter when it was, but, uh, and she took my favorite cooler that I take on hunting trips with me, and she took my cooler and gave it to them, and then I needed it back. So I had to call Alice and say, hey, can I come and get my cooler, because uh, I'm going to need it this weekend. And so I went over to Tom and Alice's, and I I came up to the porch, and as I'm getting up to the porch, I can see Pastor Tom on the inside getting the, getting the cooler together, and he walks out, and he sets the cooler down, and he just gives me a big hug, and says, good to see you, Greg. He draws me close, and good to see you. I just felt so affirmed and so good on the inside, and, you know, I thought, you know, he might like these other pastors here, but I think he likes me the best. <laughs> And then his daughter, uh, Christina, comes out, and she gives me a big hug. Says, hi, Greg Rapsom, hi, how you doing? I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. But that wasn't, that wasn't all. Pretty soon, Alice comes out. And this is all happening within seconds. Pretty soon, Alice comes out and gives me a big hug. We're standing on the porch. We're in front of their house, standing on the, on the stoop of the house. And Alice comes out and gives me a big hug. And then pretty soon, uh, Ann and Josh are there. And so Ann comes out. She gives me a big hug. Josh comes out. You know, those of you that know Josh, I mean, he's a big guy. Come give me a big hug. And I'm just feeling, I'm feeling 10 feet tall. And then Matt, their son, who I I hardly even know Matt. I mean, we've probably spoke a dozen words between us. And Matt comes out and goes, oh, Greg, good to see you. Throws his arms around me, hugs me, pulls me close. I'm like, you guys must have really liked Sandy's food because this is quite the outpouring of love. All of a sudden it dawns on me that these guys are amassing on the front stoop because they're leaving on a walk. You know, they're not there to greet me or to, to, you know, say these things to me. They're just on their way somewhere else. And I realize I'm actually standing in their way and they can't get past me. <laughs> I shared that later with them. They all had a, had a good laugh over that. Here's a story that's not so funny. Many, many years ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> I was a staff pastor in a, in a fairly small church. I had taken this position between my junior and senior year of Bible college, and it was a good church. I, I loved the church, um, but the pastor uh, resigned, took a new place somewhere else, and we hired a young, exuberant guy filled with vision and desire. And the church began to grow like you wouldn't imagine. We were seeing God do all kinds of things. People were coming to the Lord and, and God was doing miracles. And it was just a very special place to be. And in that time, that church, that church probably grew 300% during that time, getting larger and larger, finally building a building and other things. 
It was just a wonderful, wonderful body to be a part of. And then one day, Sandy and I are worshiping. We were, we were staff people, so we were sitting down here on the, not that all staff people sit here, but, you know, we're close to the front, and we're sitting down on the side, and we're worshiping the Lord. It's during the worship, worship part of the service, and I all of a sudden feel something in my spirit, and I look at Sandy, and she's looking at me. And we go back to worshiping, we hear the, hear the pastor preach, and we greet people afterwards, and when we get home to have lunch, I go, what was that? She goes, in an instant, I just felt like I got this picture of how proud we were as a church because of the things God has done in our midst. I said, that's exactly what happened to me. At that very instant, when I looked over at you, I felt like that. I just got this picture of how proud we were because of all the things that God was doing in our midst. I think what it was is that we felt better than other people. We felt like maybe God liked us more or maybe God did more in our midst than he did anywhere else, but we thought we were pretty special. Thinking back on it now, it doesn't seem like it was long after that when our pastor took a new position in another church. He left. We hired a new pastor. And then one year later, we fired him. Because he wasn't good enough for us. He wasn't good enough for us. We needed someone better. And so we went through a search uh, for a new pastor uh, finally talked another pastor into coming, although he knew what we had done to the previous pastor. And he came, and after a year, we didn't want him either. But because we destroyed the last pastor, we weren't going to do that again. And so by this time, Sandy and I are long gone. We've moved to Madison. Other, that, the previous pastor had moved on. And, and now the church began to suffer. And people began to leave. I don't know what was going on there. I wasn't there. But in the end, because of some friends that were still, still attending church in that place, by the end, there was only about a dozen people left in that congregation. And in the very end, they had to take out a loan to pay the pastor his remaining salary so that he would leave. You might be thinking, Greg, are you telling us that, that God did that to prove some sort of point? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, is that God is able to humble the proud. That God is able to intervene on our lives in whatever level, whether it's two pieces of toilet paper on your face or whether it's some discipline in a larger context. God is able to humble the proud. And God, and guys, this is his desire, not, not, not that he has to have us all so humble, but that he's shaping us. He's shaping us. He's making us. He's molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. And pride just won't do. It just won't do. So God's part is, first of all, that he's freed us from sin and thereby pride. Secondly, that God has actively intervened in our lives. Thirdly, God has given us an example in Christ Jesus. He has given us example of humility in Christ Jesus. So not only has he freed us, but he's also given us an example Guys, if you think about this for a while, it is like mind-blowing that the God of the universe came to earth to take our place, to die in our place. That's not the worst of it. The worst of it is, is that he became a single egg in a teenager's womb. That he grew into an embryo, that he was birthed through the birth canal. 
that he was, had his diapers changed and he, he relied on his parents for food and, and was spanked from time to time, grew up as an adolescent, perhaps teased by other boys. I mean, who knows? The God and the creator of the universe came to earth to take that place. And not only coming incarnate during that time, but also on the cross humiliated. I mean, Jesus at any time by his own testimony could have called down legions of angels to rescue him and could have been taken up like a king. But he would not. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. That's pretty mind-blowing. But then when you think about Jesus' last meal with his disciples and them gathering together. This was right before he was crucified and gathering together with the 12 disciples, Judas and, and all the rest. And this is recorded pretty vividly in John chapter 13. He gets them all together in one place and they have a meal. And then once they're done with the meal, Jesus takes off his outer garments, girds his loins, so to speak, and kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now this might not seem like much, in our sterile society, you know, where we got these pumpy things on the corner of everything to purify our hands, you know, and that sort of thing. But guys, back in the day, they had outdoor uh, um, uh, sewer systems, you know, and this is the Passover. The streets are packed with visitors from all over Israel, in fact, all over the Mediterranean, bringing horses and animals, sheep and goats with them. I mean, the streets are filthy. Filthy. It's kind of like this. About 20 years ago, I took a mission trip to Asia, went through uh, Malaysia, spent some time there, uh, landed on the, on the south uh, shore of India, did some ministry there, flew across the country to the, to the uh, what's on the other side, the west shore, on the other side, did some ministry there. While I was there, on that west shore, it was called Bombay at the time. I think it's called Mumbai now, or Mumbai, 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 Bombay. Uh, we visited one of the world's largest slums. Now, if you can imagine one million people living in slums, and when I talk about slums, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about corrugated tin houses. Just one after another, after another, after another, after another. In fact, you could see, uh, I only could see to the horizon and these, these tin, corrugated tin buildings going up over the horizon. And we're meeting with a pastor planting a new church in this, in this slum. And as we walked in, it was, it was nearly dark and we had to be careful because there was only like about this much room in between the buildings. And in the center of this path was a small little ditch, maybe a foot deep, that carried the sewage and would flow out to some place. I don't know where it would flow to. And so you wanted to be careful not to step in the middle of the path. So we spent some time with the pastor, encouraged him, prayed with him, had something to eat, and then we were on our way. When I got back in the car, I realized that I'd gotten some human excrement stuck to the bottom of my shoe. There's about four of us in that car, but nobody else wanted to be in there besides me. And I wanted that off the bottom of my shoe so badly. I mean, even now when I think about it, I get a little irpy just thinking about it. And so I apologized and, you know, profusely apologized again and again and again. I mean, it was, it was filling up the car as we went on. We finally got back to the missionary's home, took off my shoe, cleaned it up outside without ever going into the house, then got uh, to the door. And because of what had happened, I didn't even feel like I could walk inside the house with my shoes on. So I took my shoes off outside the door and left them outside, even though I just cleaned them, cleaned them both off. Now imagine with me these disciples. 
living in these conditions, coming into this room to eat a meal, and not a one of them wanting to wash one another's feet. Not a one of them wanting to be the one that would take that lowly position that would get down and wash someone else's feet. Guys, that was the worst of the worst of the worst. Only a slave would do that, and then the other slaves would make the lowest of slaves do it. No, we're not going to do that. You're doing that. And they would wash the people's feet as they came into the home. In fact, oftentimes there was a basin right by the door. So as soon as someone came in, they could have their feet washed right at the door and then go on with what they were doing. But this night, perhaps because of secrecy of the meeting or for whatever reason, there was nobody there. They were left to their own. Who would wash the other's feet? Everybody failed the test. Everybody failed the test. It says early in John chapter 13, then Jesus got up and he took the basin. Not a basin, but the basin. So it's an indication that there was a special basin that was, that was uh, utilized for washing feet because they didn't want to use it for anything else after that. And so there was the basin. Jesus took the basin and grabbed it and started hanging towards the disciples. I can only imagine what they were thinking. Don't ask me to do it. Don't ask me to do it, Jesus. Don't give that to me. Don't give that to me. I'll wash my feet, and I'll wash your feet, but I'm not washing these guys' feet. And Jesus, in this incredible act of contrition and humility, bows down and begins to wash their feet. It's easy to give Peter a bad rap where Peter says, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. Guys, every single one of us would say the same thing. Every single one of us. It's like, no, Lord, no, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And you know what Jesus says? He says, you're saying it right. I am Lord and I am the teacher. But I'm leaving you example that you should do this to one another. Not only me because I'm Lord and teacher, but you should do this to one another. This is my example that you bow down, humble yourself, and serve one another. Guys, that's the example Jesus left us. That's his example to us. I mean, the most amazing thing, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, to bow down in such a way and wash the excrements off the disciples' feet. We would be just like Peter. No, Lord. No, Lord, let me do it. Let me wash your feet. Jesus said, no. This is my example that I'm leaving you. You know, it really is a shame that many times we have reduced this example of Jesus to being merely symbolic. You know, that we'll have a foot washing at a at a prayer meeting or at a wedding or at some other sort of thing where we take this pristine foot that's already far cleaner than I'm going to make it with this water and we ceremonially and symbolically wash it off and it's symbolically showing that I want to serve you and that sort of thing. But that wasn't the point at all. That wasn't the point at all. The point was is that we serve one another to this degree that we consider others better than ourselves. That we don't consider ourselves the best. We consider that others are better than us. And this is what Paul says to the Philippians a little bit later. Where he says this in Philippians 2, 3, and 8. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, not regarding equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, it's easy to think that we deserve more than we have. It's easy to think because of this or this or that or the other things I've done or maybe things I haven't done that I deserve a little bit more than the next person. 
But this is our example. This is our master before us. This is this not only not only telling us to humble ourselves, but actually giving us an example of getting down and serving one another. You know, this would be more like changing your your friends' babies' diapers than you know, than just doing a symbolic foot washing. This would, be, this would be more like walking with your friend's dog and picking up, you know, the, the, the uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> picking that stuff up. It'd be, like, it'd be like going over and crawling underneath your friend's car and changing the oil for him. That's what this is talking about. Not merely symbolic, but an example of humility, of considering others better than ourselves. Here's the, here's the final part. Our part in overcoming pride. Our part in overcoming pride. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. I wish, I wish there was a little more details. What does that mean? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. I mean, we, we have some teaching, we have some examples. But it'd be so nice to know what exactly does that mean? How do we humble ourselves? Well, let me take a stab at it. Number one, I would say this. If you wish to humble yourself, first of all, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let him be the beginning spot for you. You'll remember the, the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It goes something like this in Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes on all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is not only a description of how we should live, it is a description of that very first step when we follow Jesus. That we humble ourselves and say these words, not my will be done, but your will be done. When we take ourselves off the throne of our lives and give Jesus his rightful place, the place that was his from the beginning of time, the place that is rightfully his, we give him that place and we take ourselves off off that throne. And we approach him in this way, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. You know, I'm convinced that in America, the reason that we don't see more people coming to Christ is simply this, that they don't think they need a Savior. They don't think they need a Savior. They think everything is, everything is fine. They're as good as the next person. But the humble heart comes like the tax collector, even unwilling to look to heaven and say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. So here's the first part. We come to him and we put our lives in his hands. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we recognize and admit our pride. C.S. Lewis said this, if if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can think, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is realize that he's proud. So let me give you a little, let me give you a little quiz. You may be proud if... You wish your wife was here to hear this message. (laughs) You may be proud if you become irritated when other people correct you. You may be proud if you accept praise for things that you did not accomplish. You might be proud if you find it exceedingly difficult to admit your mistakes. 
You might be proud if you too often refuse to seek counsel and to learn from other people. You might be too proud if you're overly competitive with other people. You might be too proud if you want more, not because you need more, but because you want more than somebody else. The first step is simply this. Admitting that we are proud. Which is actually the second step. The first step is admitting that we need a savior. Here's the third one. Express your gratitude. Express your gratitude to the Lord. Remember that it was him who's brought you to this place. Guys, I remember years ago when Sandy and I bought our first house, which we are still in, as a matter of fact. We raised our four kids in this house. I think most of the time it only had one one bathroom. And I remember how we used to give thanks to the Lord. Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you. This is above and beyond what we could ever imagine. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the income to buy this place. Thank you for providing this place. Thank you for your leading along the way. Thank you that we have this home. But you know, we rarely thank him for it anymore. We rarely thank him for it anymore. It seems in some ways we've forgotten the things that the Lord's done for us. We have a pastor here on staff who in our prayer meetings constantly, like he did this morning in our prayer meeting before the first service, reminds us of how God has taken care of us. This is how he prayed this morning. Lord, thank you for protecting us on the way to church this morning. And in other times, Lord, thank you for the income that you give us, that we can live this life. Thank you that our, that our bills, bills are paid. Thank you for our health. Thank you for all these things. Guys, what it does, it puts the, it puts the onus in the right spot. It reminds us that we are nothing without the Lord, that it all comes from him. And without him, all of this would be impossible. I talked to a young man after the service this morning. He said, Pastor, I'm really dealing with this on the inside. I'm an actor, and I love the, I love the lights. I love the, I love the applause. I love all that. He said, I am really wrestling with this on the inside. He said, you know what? The only thing that keeps me grounded is this, that I know it's all from the Lord. I know it's all from the Lord. I know without the Lord that none of this would be possible. I said, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right that it's the Lord that has brought you to this place. Guys, remember this. When Israel came into the promised land, The Lord warned them that we can find in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Lord warned them and saying, don't forget me. Don't forget that I was the one that brought you into the land. Don't forget that I was the one that gave you houses that you didn't build. That I gave you a land that that you didn't uh, 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 till. That I gave you all these things. Don't forget. And he uses this word. Don't become proud in your heart and forget the Lord your God. The third thing is, give thanks. Here's one more. Uh, Two more. Practice servanthood. Practice serving those around you. And then lastly, laugh at yourself. There's an old saying that says, blessed are they that laugh at themselves, for they shall never cease to be entertained. (laughs) Why don't we stand together? I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we all know, or most of us know, that what you're calling us to would be impossible without Jesus. That it's only Jesus that gives us the desire and gives us the ability and really does the shaping and molding into our lives. And so, Lord, this morning we have seen just a little bit into our heart. And we would just say collectively, Lord, would you come and change us? Would you 
make us more into your image? Would you humble us where we need to become more humble? Would you change us that we could be what you want us to be in this world to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, and really to the world? Would you do that, Lord, in our midst? Lord, we just want to give you permission to put your finger on any area of our life that is out of order. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to be like you, and we want to be with you, Lord. Help us to be what you want us to be. And Lord, for those this morning that are in this place that have never put their trust in you, Lord, we're praying for them collectively this morning. May they find you here this morning. Lord, may they say in their heart, even in this moment, I believe, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And then send your spirit, even in this moment, to transform them by your spirit, Lord. Let them walk out of here saying, I have been changed. I have been changed in my inner man. I am a different person than when I came in. Lord, let it be for those. And we're going to give you the glory for all of this. And we pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, that's how we're going to end this morning. Uh, Sarah's going to lead us in a song. While she's leading us, I would just invite our prayer teams to come forward. If you'd like prayer for any reason this morning, you just make your way down as we're doing this final song. Don't leave us stand down here by ourselves for too long. That gets awkward. So while we're singing this final song, you just make your way down and we'll begin praying right away. And then when we're done with this song, you can just feel dismissed. Nobody will pray or anything like that, but you can just feel dismissed. If you are making a decision to follow Christ for the first time this morning, I would like to pray with you. I'll be right down here at the center. If you have recently raised your hand in one of our services to receive Christ, but you don't feel like it's, it's changed you or it's made a difference. I would like to pray for you as well down here at the front. I'll be right down here at the front. So let's worship together. Uh, uh, prayer teams, you come. And if you'd like prayer, you come as well.